Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the ISI Life podcast. Today, I get the great pleasure of sitting down with John Pinkston, who is the founder of Blue Kayak Partners. He is an amazing man and helps us dive into the topic of finance. And we kind of talk about finance as well as faculty and kind of how we view our work and getting our mind in the right spot of coming and approaching our work from a godly perspective and maybe uh, versus a, a cultural perspective that we're kind of inclined to think sometimes or that we're mainly influenced by. John is an amazing guy who played uh, basketball at Birmingham Southern College and then went on to major in economics and then went out to, got his MBA from school in UCLA and worked as management consultant before returning to Tennessee to launch uh, his investment management from Blue Kayak Partners. He has been instrumental in helping us launch the Nashville uh, wing of ISI, spoke at our first retreat. And really today's conversation is walking down the presentation that he gave to the guys there. It's very powerful. Uh, he's got a lot of experience in the business world and at home too. He's married to his wife of over 20 years, have six kids. And so he understands what it's like to have lots of pokers in the fire and i really just appreciate the conversation and i think you will too so enjoy the episode all right john i appreciate you being on the podcast today i'm excited to connect with you so thanks for thanks for making the time definitely yeah i've been really really moved by all the great things happening in nashville and i know you got a chance to to speak at the recent retreat on finance and i think as we're heading into 2021 and people are really thinking about finance and money. Uh, I'm really excited to capture this conversation because there were some great learnings. And um, But before we dive into all that, maybe give us uh, you know, a little bit of a background into who you are and kind of bring us up to the current state with you know family, work, and a little bit about the 5,000-foot view. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Nashville. Uh, I was a basketball enthusiast uh, really all my life and uh, worked really hard um, at that. And was able to play college basketball, which was a really formative experience for me and um, really grateful for that opportunity. Um, I have worked in the investment world, uh, went back to graduate school, did some management consulting, and then returned to um, returned to the investment world again. That's a little bit about my uh, uh, background. And uh, I got married 20 years ago. This year's our, our 20th anniversary. Uh, my wife is from Switzerland. We met uh, through mutual friends. It's a it's a great story of how we met, um, and uh, a little bit too long for, for this short discussion. <laughs> but uh, and we now have six kids: five, five boys, one girl. The oldest is 18 and headed to college next year, and wow. the the youngest is eight. Wow. That's, that's a full house. That is awesome. It's Very a lot cool. of fun. Yeah. And we got connected via Al Sherbaum, which is, you know, he's our national regional director who's been amazing with, uh, with helping us take ISI to the next level. And your boys play golf together. Is that right? That's right. Awesome. Very cool. Well, that is that is really exciting. I would love to hear the story about the uh, how you and your wife got connected at maybe one of the future national retreats. Um, maybe I'd love sure. to hear that story in person. But um, you know, you, you have a lot to bring to the table. You know, success in you know in your marriage and with kids, and I mean, really with management consult. I mean, you could really talk on any of the Fs, uh, the five Fs that we that we talk about ISI. But we're going to hone in kind of today on finance and 
I'm excited about that conversation. Like I mentioned, I just think it's, um, what we do with our money is one of the you know big topics in the Bible and we all want to be good stewards of it. So I'm excited to, you know, have this conversation. Um, you know, just, I guess where to start, um, you know, talking about the, the kind of the starting point of your conversation and your presentation at ISI was about understanding true prosperity. So, and talking about identity. So kind of just take us down that path of what that means and about, you know, our identity as it relates to prosperity. Right. So, you know, you can find lots of great teaching on how to do this or how to do that. Very practical oriented um, teaching and books on finance and and all of that's great. But um, when you really dig deep into it, you could be successful in in maybe the practical application, but still be empty on the inside or or, you know, missing the mark. And so that's Mm -hmm. why. In our presentation, we started with the idea of what is true prosperity, and we connected it to identity. Identity informs your vocation and your financial stewardship. It's not the other way around. In other words, you know, when you meet somebody for the first time, what do they usually say? Is you know, what what do you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, people so often connect your vocation to your identity. I'm an investor, I'm a banker, I'm a musician, I'm a, you know, salesman, what, whatever, I'm a doctor. But really, our vocation is not our identity. Uh, it, it, our vocation is just an expression of our identity. Mm. Um, uh, you know, a doctor is really a healer. Uh, that, that, that's their, their identity is, is as a healer. And, and they happen to express that through, you know, being a doctor. You could express right. it in other ways, right? Yeah. Well, it's the same same in stewardship. So we started with this idea of um, of um, what is inside out prosperity, and we took a quote from uh, a uh, professor, Al- Alistair uh, McIntyre, and it's, he said, "I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I f- first." answer the question, what story or stories do I find myself a part of? Hmm. And what he, he goes through this uh, link between story, identity, convictions, values, actions, and outcomes, meaning all of these connect together. And he expresses the idea through uh, an Eastern view historically and a, a Western view. And the Western view, uh, which he traced to, uh, I, I think, Greek history, was uh, the identity was that a worker is one experiencing the curse of gods. The conviction that came from that is that work is a curse and something you don't like, uh, but you do because you have to. The values that come from that are uh, you want to seek after the higher life of art, philosophy, politics. That was what was in in that culture, the Greek culture. Um, today, you, you might think of that just as uh, dualism or, or escapism. The actions that come from that are the elite and higher class work hard in their younger years in order to escape work and never have to do it again. Or uh, in ancient culture, they would escape work by relegating it all to slaves the outcome of that is that work is meaningless and it's something that's endured or 
um, something that you just have to do, right? So mm. interestingly, a lot of us still view work uh, that way today, right? It's, uh, I, I have to go to work. Um, I do it because I have to earn money. And in reality, uh, that's not how, how God designed us. Uh, and so the Eastern story, which uh, traces back to the, to the garden, the Garden of Eden, is that humans uh, are created as co-workers with God. That's our unique role. And the conviction that flows from this is that work was fundamentally good. Uh, it was a, it's a necessary part of providing for the needs of the world. In other words, all work could be noble. From that conviction, you have the value that work is basically a calling. It's an important part of what, what we are to be a, as humans. And then the actions that would then, then follow is that work is an opportunity to create value in your community, in, in, you know, in the world around you. Yeah. And then the outcome of that is that work or business is a blessing. And you can see these two stories have very different outcomes. One is is um, positive and full of hope, and and the other one is is um, you know negative and heavy. Yeah. Wow. There's a ton there. Um, I just wanted to jump in for a quick second, and we you know going back to that first question, you know about about that. You know, when someone asks you, you know, what you do, um, you know, knowing that it's not about, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I'm a healer. You know, when you think of that, when someone asks you personally, how do you, how do you respond to that? Well, I, I describe it as, um, from a, a family standpoint, we, we have a, a identity that we're bridge builders, that that's the core of what we do. So, um, from a and then from a personal standpoint uh i view my calling as causing others to prosper uh, or helping others to prosper now the way that's you know expressed right now is i am an investor i'm in the investment business uh so i'm able to to do that in a particular way but i could leave the investment world and still accomplish that mission doing something different wow helping others prosper in a different way at the, at the right. core of that. That's who you are versus what you do. Right. Um, that's a big, that's a big thing for to help kind of understand that. I think a lot of, a lot of people listening might get a lot of value from really breaking those two apart and breaking their identity away from what they do and being more tuned in with who they are and what God has placed on their heart. Um, so I don't know. Thanks for, thanks for breaking that down. I think that's a huge, huge point there. Um, I totally, I totally cut you off on your, on your train of thought there on where you're going with, um, you know, work being a blessing, the outcome of that being a blessing and, and kind of the dichotomy of that versus kind of how it had been thought of as, as work and something you have to do versus something that you get to do and you get to participate in. Um, right. Right. And I think, right. If your identity is connected to your work, then whether you succeed or fail in your work either builds your identity or tears it down. And that's not how we're designed to be, right? Failure is okay. Uh, if your identity is, is um, secure and it comes from, um, you know, it comes from the idea of being a coworker with God, then it's okay to fail along the way. What's most important is that you're walking with God. If your identity is all about achieving success, quote unquote, 
then when you fail, it, it can be fatal. So I think there's lots of ways to think about um, this connection between story, story, identity, convictions, values, actions, and outcomes. Mm. On, a, uh, on like a practical level, um, say, if you could help me break apart those two from, you know, succeeding, uh, say you're, you know, trying to go down this path and it's, it's maybe not working, uh, or it's, it seems like it's failing, but you feel like you're really connected to God. I mean, how do you feel like we can be in tune with whether we know we are doing God's work or, you know, we're with God and we're, and we're doing, you know, what God designed us to do versus maybe it feels like it's not working in terms of, um, it doesn't feel like it's actually being successful. How can we understand those two and be able to break those part and discern if we are, are, are living by living our faith out through our work. I think one way I think about it is um, you could do something that could be successful in the world's eye. Like uh, you, you make a great investment and you become an instant, you know, millionaire. Mm-hmm. The world would view that as successful. But if that quick, um, if, if gaining wealth really quickly then changed your behavior, changed changed how you um, thought about yourself, ch- changed how you treated other people. Um, if, if it impacted who you are, then maybe it wasn't successful. Maybe it was failure because maybe mm. maybe it um, it produced the wrong character outcome. Mm. Whereas uh, someone else could do something that seemed to be a failure in the world's eyes, but if you walk through it with, with the Lord, um, you, you know, you, you seek, uh, what's his response to the failure. Maybe it's just standing back up and trying it again. Then you've been really successful and your, your character has been built in the process. Mm. It's kind of like when you, when you get squeezed, uh, you know, what comes out, you see what comes out of you. Um, right. That's kind of the way that I'm visualizing this. At the retreat, we talked about it through um, one picture from the movie Chariots of Fire. I I know a lot of people have seen the movie. Um, Ravi Zacharias did a great job of of pulling some wisdom out of that movie and contrasting Eric Little, uh, the Scotsman, and Harold Abrams, the Englishman. And you see early in the movie with Abrams, he was... Uh, full of confidence and and somebody uh, I think asked the question you know um, uh, how do you deal with losing and Abrams goes well I don't know I've never lost <laughs> and then you get to the end of the movie and there's this classic scene between Eric uh, Little and Harold Abrams and Abrams is about ready to run his race in the Olympics and he confides in Little and he says you know, I used to be afraid to lose, but now I'm afraid to win because I only have 10 seconds w- within which to prove my existence. And even then, I'm not mm. sure I will. Mm. And it's the idea that you could accomplish that which you think is the ultimate and then it lets you down. Mm. And I think that's a good way in the arts to view this uh, question of of identity and how um essentially what you're living for, uh, or your story really matters. Right. Well, 
Yeah, it's interesting. One of the guys who uh, spoke, you know, recently at one of the retreats, uh, a very similar topic. One, you know, was playing in the NFL and got the big contract, and was like, you know, that's it. Like, you know, what what else is there? Like, this is what I've been rooting for my whole time. This is what my whole identity has been wrapped in, and that that really was a jumpstart to his faith journey to explore more, uh, to see, you know, kind of where how he could switch that identity from being wrapped up in that that one thing versus something bigger. Um, and you, you know, you talked about seeing prosperity through four levels, um, logic, arts, you know, culture and scripture. So you talked a little bit about arts just a second ago. How, how would we explore, you know, that idea of prosperity, that inside out prosperity through the others? So we, we described it through these four different lenses, if you will, um, just so people could see it from a, from different vantage points. And for uh, logic, we, we reference Francis Schaeffer, uh, a, a theologian, theologian, philosopher, and, and, and uh, co-founder of the Labrie Institute in Switzerland. Some people may have read his book, uh, How Should We Then Live? And in that book, he talks about, he was, he was, uh, he was analyzing the counterculture movement of the 1960s. And he, he identified two core values that the story, you know, of the 60s was connected to. And those two values were personal peace and affluence. Hmm. And um, essentially, many of the, the students of the 60s were rebelling against these two ideas of personal peace and affluence that their the parents' generation held. And he defined personal peace as... Uh, to be let alone, to not be troubled by the troubles of other people, uh, whether across the world or across the city, to live one's life with minimal possibilities of being personally disturbed. Hmm. And then affluence is, he just, he, you know, simply stated it as an overwhelming and ever increasing prosperity, a life made up of things, things, and more things. And success was judged by an ever higher, higher level of material abundance. And the youth, you know, the counterculture um, movement of the 60s was really a rebellion, a rebellion against these uh, two ideas, uh, amongst some others. And what, it, what, what he pointed out is that it's a circular uh, logic of um, you want to live in a bubble, you want to be as comfortable as possible, and prosperity is the number one goal. And to do that... Um, you just need to go to school, get educated, work really hard so you can get more things and pay for your kids to go to school, work really hard, get educated, and for them to have more things. And it was just this circular, circular um, logic that was void of meaning. And, it, and I think he, he pointed out the fact that it was void of meaning is why the counterculture rebellion took place. Hmm. So I think that really collects, connects to, again, story, identity, conviction, values, actions, outcomes. Wow. That's, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, and it, it is very, uh, very countercultural. So, and then getting into, I don't know if you want to touch on the culture of the scripture piece, um, but where do you think it would be a good spot to go, go next? Um, well, in the culture piece, uh, so in the arts, we looked at Chariots of Fire. Let's just touch on that real quick. And mm -hmm. we saw Abrams living, you know, sort of for personal success. But then you contrast it to Little, who, um, you know, who um, 
when he when he um you know when he would run he would be you know flailing his arms and he had this really unique look about him um but he always looked like he was just having a blast whenever he was running and there's this this famous scene where his sister was talking to him saying you're working too hard you need to you know basically um you know racing is taking up taking up your life and he said to his sister that god made me for a purpose for china and he went on to ultimately be a missionary in China. He said, but God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so that's the connection of um, no matter what you do, if you're doing it as unto the Lord, it's an act of worship. And that's what success is about, not whether you win or lose. But um, in essence, are you walking with the Father whenever you're doing whatever you're doing? Mm-hmm. So that was arts and culture. We just gave an example of... The entrepreneur Archie Letourneau, who was an inventor, um, he, he created uh, earth-moving equipment. And there's a great book, uh, Mover of Men and Mountains. That's uh, hmm. his biography. And you just see a, a, a someone who is uh, abandoned to the Lord. He almost died multiple times. He lived a miraculous life. Uh, he ultimately... Um, ultimately got to the point where he he was living on 10% of the of his of the wealth he created and giving away 90% um and, and so there's lots of uh of pictures in the biography of how he walked with God through all aspects of his business the, there were there were many failures along the way lots of success and ultimately, he just wanted his work to be set apart as unto the Lord. And so that was wow. the example in culture. And, and he, then tying just, it all. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, that's an amazing thing. I'm, I'm guessing he didn't start with that 90-10 uh, split like that, but maybe no. got to there through over time with obedience. I haven't read the story, but I wasn't going to check it out right after this. But uh, I'm guessing yeah. it didn't start that way for him. Well, he didn't start successful, right? I mean, and, th- and that goes back to the idea of... Um, Maybe what the world calls success is not always success, and sometimes a failure can actually catapult you forward. Right. So mm-hmm. he had he had many failures along the way, and ultimately it was a picture of of him receiving uh, really incredible creative inventions. Um, I th- I think through his just walking with the Lord and the way God gifted him with. Uh, the ability to, to see and create. So wow. he was an engineer and on, entrepreneur. Wow. it's amazing. I'm excited to check that out. Thank you for, hey, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, and then scripture, uh, when, uh, Jesus called his, his, uh, first disciples and, you know, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Um, and he, you know, it's the famous story. Uh, Simon had been out fishing all night, right? They, they meet up with Jesus and he said, um, put Jesus said, um, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon said, well, basically we worked all night. We didn't catch anything, but because you said so, we'll, we'll let down our nets. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll do it. So when they went back out, uh, you know, the, 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 the story is they, they caught so much that their nets began to break. They needed another boat to come help them. 
And uh, the result of it was that he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And uh, what we talked about from this was the result, the impact, and the purpose. The result of Peter's or, or Simon's obedience was the miracle catch. But a lot of times we like to just focus on that again, because our view of success is the outcome uh, or the you know physical output outcome. But really, wasn't it about the impact? Because this wasn't about uh, catching a lot of fish. It was about Jesus calling his first disciples. So the impact was uh, awe, wonder and worship. That's what the miracle produced in in Simon and, and his friends. Right. And then the the purpose was to connect Simon to his story. His story uh, in verse 10 is, uh, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be a fisher of men. Right? So it was all about connecting connecting Simon to his purpose. And so that was where we started this whole idea of you can't really talk about stewardship until you first have clarity on what story are you a part of and what is your identity and working from the inside out. Mm. Do you have any, um, you know, practical things that you've seen, you've done, or you've seen people do to help them explore that, um, searching for, you know, their identity, uh, to really understand and feel like they are doing God's work, like they are where they should be. Well, I think in in one sense, we all have the same identity. So, um, you know, we're we're children of God and there are many things that happen in our lives and in our culture that try to separate us from that identity. Um, It might be that uh, our view of God as a father is uh, disrupted through things we experienced in life and we don't view him as a a uh, benevolent, loving God. We maybe view him as angry or he likes other people, but I don't know if he loves me or um, I can see, you know, a miracle happening for this person or that person, but not for me. So I think first and foremost, it's uh, do we live in connection to God as father and do we have a healthy view of, of what, it, what that means? And so that's always the starting point, because if your view of of Father God is not healthy, um, you know, it it doesn't really it doesn't help much to 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 build off the wrong foundation. Yeah, the chain starts breaking down pretty quick if you don't have that link uh, upstream. That's awesome. No, I appreciate that. Um, And then as we as we kind of look forward, you know, looking at internal prosperity and thinking about, you know, our, our identity, you talked a lot about, you know, internal prosperity and having a prosperous soul. So, you know, kind of just take us down that path of, of what you taught. Okay. So first let me reference the, the book that, that a lot of this, a lot of this comes from. It's an excellent, well-written book. It's called money and the prosperous soul. The author is Steven De Silva. And he, he really begins even in the book with his own history and things that um, that distorted his view of, of Father God and how he got healed of that. So the very thing we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And the, the key scripture is 
Third John 1, 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Um, so we went in the retreat when we were talking about this, we started with the idea that, you know, as you think, right, as you think um, in your heart, it, it impacts your mind and, and, and your actions. Mm-hmm. Um, do we actually believe that God is good? Uh, do we actually believe that Christ's work is complete? Do we actually believe that nothing is impossible? Uh, do we actually believe that each of us as an individual, that I am significant? Uh, that's a piece that, um, you know, a lot of people struggle with that third piece of significance. It's Mm. the, um, I can see God answering someone else's prayer, but maybe not for me. There's that, sometimes it's a lack of significance that, um, that holds us back. So those were four starting points we, we discussed a little bit. And then we went on to talk about, uh, how, Mammon and poverty spirit are the two main distractions that seek to cripple our identity and essentially ruin our finances. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. Take us down that path and, and you describe, you know, you're talked about almost like a plumb line, use that as an example, as a visual aid, right? Between the, the difference between, between the two. Okay. So mammon is most closely associated with consumerism. Uh, it's, um, you know, wanting, more and more things. You, a lot of people think of it as uh, greed. Greed is certainly one of the drivers or one of the attitudes that comes with mammon. Uh, it can also be envy, uh, <clears throat> wanting more and more things. Um, the behavior that's associated with mammon is typically uh, a lot of striving. You, you can't ever work hard enough. You can always, you know, always have to work harder and harder. And the experience uh, associated with mammon is self-importance and that's sort of the, um, you get your validation from, you know, how successful you are in contrast, poverty is most associated, most closely associated with escapism. You know, if, if I could just, uh, win the lottery, all my problems would be solved. That would be an example of poverty thinking. Or in the church, you might see um, you might see someone uh, say, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna give a big offering because then God will give me a bunch of money and solve my problems." Um, maybe He will, but maybe that doesn't actually solve your problems, right? But that's an example of potentially escapism. You want to do, you want to try to uh, win the lottery to you know, have all your problems solved. Hmm. There's a attitude of helplessness that that's associated with, uh, the poverty spirit, uh, instead of envy that's with mammon, it's more jealousy with, uh, poverty, uh, in, in the contrast of self-importance with mammon, uh, a lot of times if you're impacted by the poverty spirit, you feel invisible. Hmm. Um, so, so there's lots of ways to contrast the two. The reality is both of them are at work in the world we live in, and we, um, we have to be aware of how they may be you know, impacting our lives.
Yeah. I mean, they're, that's what culture is all about is, you know, more, 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 you know, bigger, better, faster, um, you know, that pursuit and you kind of get there and you know, maybe you think, okay, <laughs> it, it doesn't feel full. It doesn't feel like you are, you know, having a full heart, uh, prosperous heart. And, you know, I think that's what kind of the big part is, okay, so, so what, how do we, how do we break free from that? How do we, how do we move past, um, mammon and poverty? Um, you know, what's the, what's the path? What's the better path for us? So, uh, it's, it begins with self-awareness, right? Um, and so there's a three-step process that, um, we talked about at, at the, the, the Nashville retreat. And that was number one, identify the lies holding you back. Uh, so we had a, a moment of pause where people could, and we had gone through s- several, um, uh, several discussion points on mammon and poverty and, and what the different um, tactics look like. And so it gave people a grid to measure themselves against. And so they had all had a few minutes to identify lies holding them back. And then once you identify that lie, you have to displace that lie with a truth. That's step number two. Hmm. And so... Um, and just to just to jump in there, like what what's maybe an example or a common one that you think you know a lie that a common one that may hold people back? Um, a, a pover- an example in poverty would be um, someone might say, "Why do things always happen to me?" Mm. That that's a victim mindset, and um, the truth is right that uh, uh, you you would you would. Th- you would then look for a scripture that really personalized to you. But the truth is um, that maybe all things work together for our good, you know, for those that um, love God and are called according to his purpose. That'd be an example of, of a truth that could displace that lie. Hmm. Um, You you would really, what you want to do is at that point um, have a conversation with the Holy spirit about um, having him, enlighten to you a truth or a scripture that displaces that lie. Mm. And then step three is that you walk it out over time, meaning it, it doesn't do much good for me to just say it once. I might have to wake up every morning and write it down and, and confess it, uh, for, mm. you know, for 30 days or something like that. You need to embody it. It needs to become part of you, become part of almost rewiring your brain to a new, new way of thinking. Exactly. Hmm. That's awesome. That's some powerful stuff there. Um, do you feel like you've made it just on a personal level? Do you feel like you've made that, that jump, that switch, uh, in, in any lies that held you back? I have in, in different, um, you know, points in time, uh, so in different ways, right? So in the very beginning, when I, I first, um, really encountered a, a teaching like this from uh, a guy named Earl Pitts, who's with YWAM. Uh, I heard him speak in Switzerland about 20 or so years ago, and hmm. he really um, unpacked this in a way that I began to see the way ways in which I was, you know, not properly aligned. And so he, he helped me a lot and brought a lot of freedom. Then uh, the book Money and the Prosperous Soul was another avenue. And then we did, my wife and I did an in-depth um, week-long um, wow. uh, uh, 
it's sort of ministry slash counseling where they help you identify uh, lies that that um, they call them uh, ungodly beliefs, things you believe to be true based on your experience, but are not actually you know true based on God's word or God's perspective. And um, that's wow. that uh, sounds like ministries. a pretty powerful experience. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, really deep and and very transformative. Was that a, like a one-on-one or was that an organized type of event that participated it's, in? It's a, uh, a two-on-one. So uh, it's Restoring the Foundations is the ministry. And mm-hmm. there's two ministers, um, you know, that... that um, so like uh, my wife and I went, but we each did our own session for the week. And then on, on the last day, you come together Oh wow! Uh, for the very last one. So wow. it's very um, in depth and personalized, and and it's really powerful. Yeah, because it's just, you know uh, it's it's hard to see your own weak spots, right? So, so um, yeah, so hard to see your own blind spots, and and having other people that can help you, you know, break them out or see them is super. It sounds like a very powerful experience. But at what point during your marriage? Sorry to you know keep pressing this. I just think it's I think guys would really benefit from this kind of thought or this kind of process but at what point during your marriage with six kids did you guys go down this road oh that one was um i'd say roughly 10 years into our marriage and Hmm. so um, we'd had several kids at that point yeah yeah you're in the in the in the thick of it at that point awesome no thanks for sharing that sounds like a powerful process well i um i really appreciate you know, all of this. And I, I think it's, it is a big mindset shift to, to move from one to the other and to, to really think about who we are, uh, you know, the, the message of the healer now versus being a doctor. I think that's a very powerful one. And, um, I think you've given some great tools and some, some deeper things to look into for, for people on that journey. And that's really what we're trying to do with ISI is to, you know, let people know who they are in God's eyes and how they can be successful by being connected to God, putting faith at the center verse, um, you know, just compartmentalizing him. And so I think you did a great job of breaking that down for everybody. Um, so thanks for that. Appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Well, as we, as we kind of cool down here and, uh, land the plane, it just on a personal level, you know, some things that we ask everybody, um, we'd always interesting to hear people's responses, but the first one being just on a personal or for you, what brings you the most joy? Uh, definitely my family and, you know, interacting with them, whether it's, uh, you know, watching a kid play sport or helping, uh, you know, a kid solve a problem or just all of us having family time together. Uh, th- those are the highlights. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned some books. Um, I, you know, you mentioned some great ones here in our talk today, but it just over time, is there is there one maybe that you're reading now or you know, one that you've gifted a lot or one that really has meant a big part, you know, a big part of your life? I think, um, inside out coaching by Joe Ehrman, it, it's, um, it, it also connects to a book about his life called season of life by, I think the auth- author's Jeffrey Marks, yeah. um, inside out coaching, um, is really a, a, um, brilliant way to approach coaching sports, but because all principles are transferable, it could apply to how you parent or how you manage a business or whatever. And, 
it's the idea of um, coaching for transformation rather than just a transactional outcome. Mm. And it's, it would take a, we could have a whole, you know, 30 minutes just discussing, you know, his idea behind the book, but it's an incredible book. I highly recommend that to anyone that's in, that's in any kind of leadership or um, uh, running a business, coaching, leadership, parenting, it applies to all those things. Yeah, anywhere where you have influence, it sounds like it'd be super powerful. Yeah. Cool. No, thanks for that. I'll definitely check that out. I'm going to be uh, be burying books here. That's that's one of the great things about doing this podcast. But one of the uh, things that come, I have this huge book list of things I feel like I need to uh, tackle over time. So, uh, but that's all good stuff. For uh, life first, um, is there is there one that you know right now that's really speaking to you, or, or one that's kind of been hanging with you for many years? Uh, I don't really have a life verse, but um, just contemplating it, uh, I was thinking of Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Hmm. Love it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I have, you know, multiple that I'll turn to um, that just kind of are the ones that I feel like I need to keep top of mind. So I appreciate you sharing Micah 6, 8. For, for those of us that, you know, want to want to know more, uh, want to get to know you more, kind of learn more about what you said, um, is there is there a good way to connect with you and kind of get uh, get more connected? Uh, people can just reach out to me, uh, find me on LinkedIn or email me directly. My email is John, J-O-N at blue kayak partners dot com. Okay. Awesome. And we'll put that, uh, we'll put that, some of that in the show notes if people want to connect with you. So I, uh, I really appreciate it. And I think, uh, you know, I'm excited to connect more with you as we build out things in Nashville and get things underway. And I, I really do think today's conversation is a big one, you know, not only for me, but for, you know, for anybody listening. So thank you for, thank you for doing that. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, uh, would you mind closing us down in a word of prayer? Sure. Father, I just thank you for uh, the ISI life and for um, this ministry and and the the way that um, uh, you're providing an avenue, Lord, through through uh, through the ISI life for for men to um, find connection, to find wisdom, uh, to see your kingdom, and to bring transformation to uh, to our own lives and to those around us. So, Lord, we just uh, thank you even for this conversation today. We just ask, Lord, that it would pierce hearts, that um, if there's anything that that we said that was uh, confusing or off, Lord, just let it let it fall to the side and let everything that was of you, Lord, hit the mark and, and touch people deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. John is a, a deep thinker, smart guy, and just introduced so many topics and makes us really think about how we approach our work, how we approach our finances. And just to give you some highlights, you know, that I that I took down from our conversation, um, not to take away from the, the entire conversation, but just some things and as we kind of wrap up and put some highlights on, on the conversation. Number one is understanding your true prosperity and that it's really an inside out thinking, not an outside in, that your identity informs your vocation and your financial stewardship, not the other way around. It's not that our, like, our vocation or what we do says who we are and who our identity is. It's the other way around. It's that our identity informs our vacation. The idea of, you know, I am not a doctor, I'm a healer. 
and I happen to be a doctor. Or as John mentioned, he helps people prosper, helping others prosper. And he does that through Blue Kayak and the work that he does, but he does it in other ways. He did it through this conversation today. So that's that's who he is and what he does and how he does it is displayed in different ways. I love that. Uh, and then we got kind of got into thinking about uh, work. How do you view work? Do you view work and you're trying to escape it or are you viewing it as a gift from God? Are you viewing it as a blessing and a chance to participate in the gifts that God has given you. And those are very different mindsets. And he gave some some great examples there. And then as we kind of got to the last part, talking about how we think, how our, our brain works and how our how we think and about ourselves and our identity and how that informs the actions that we take. And if we want to break free from that idea of mammon and po- uh, poverty thinking to freedom, the way that we do this through the three steps he mentioned. Number one, identify the lies that hold you back. Displace the lies with truth. Find scripture that is countercultural, that is against what lies you have. Maybe you've been believing or maybe that you've come to find true. Uh, sounds like it's an, you know, an interesting journey for each of us to go down. And then walk it out. Walk out the truth over time. Embody it. Become it. And understand that, that scripture, that truth that really is there for you. So I, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. It definitely puts your, your head and your heart in, in the right spot as you view money, as you view your work. So hopefully the conversation was a blessing to you as it was to me. So until next time, stay sharp, everyone.